Amen. Good morning, church. Happy post-Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a great time. Uh, if you traveled with your family, whatever you did, uh, I know for me, I had three full Thanksgiving meals in a row, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So it is by the grace of God that I'm up here this morning. I am very full and uh, very excited, though, that I get the opportunity uh, to bring God's word here uh, this morning. I'm thankful that Pastor Matt gave me the opportunity. And I can't wait to dive into this. I'm excited uh, to see what God has in store for us. I know he's been doing a work on me uh, this past week as I've been preparing for this. And if you've been with us over the past uh, few weeks, really, we've been in a series about the Holy Spirit. And it's been a heavy series, but it has been so good. And there's been so much truth that we've seen uh, in it. And I've learned so much about uh, who the Holy Spirit is and his plan for my life. And I'm just so thankful that we uh, got to do that. But this morning, what God has laid on my heart coming off of that series is just a word of encouragement. And I hope that someone in here needs some encouragement and that they receive some encouragement from the word that God has placed on my heart to give to you. And so coming off of Thanksgiving, the next holiday is Christmas. We have these pretty major holidays sandwiched together. And in the midst of that, uh, what I've noticed, if you're on social media, for me, because I'm in student ministry, I'm in it a lot because my students are in it, and so I want to be there with them. And what I notice a lot is there's this mindset that everything has to be perfect, that you got to have it all together. you got to take perfect pictures, have great family photos, which we all know that takes more than just one shot to take those family photos, right? There's countless times. And many of you experience that over Thanksgiving, that, that family photo. I know I did. Uh, and so there's, there's these two holidays sandwiched together. The idea is we got to be perfect, have it all figured out. And social media doesn't help with that, that everything needs to be perfect and right. And what, it, what else the world shows us is that, man, we've got to have a perfect marriage. We've got to have high-paying jobs, successful kids, extravagant vacations, fun weekends, all of this stuff. But in reality, it's just not true. Like, there's, there, there's not a world where that's every single day life. And don't get me wrong. If you experience one of these things, man, jump all over that. That's awesome. But the world doesn't work like that. There are many times when it looks quite the opposite of what social media and the world says that it needs to look like. And for a lot of people in this room, myself included, struggle with things that no one would have any ideas going on in their life. They know what to say. They know how to act. They're just putting on a mask. But the Lord sees it, and he knows your pain, and he sees where you are in your life. And so this morning, I hope that you are encouraged by what God has in store for us. And so where we're going to see this encouragement is from a man in God's word who experienced some trials, but out of his trial, we're going to see where the encouragement comes from in our own lives. And this man, he was, he was faithful to the mission, to his calling on, on his life. When he had no business being joyful, finding peace, or his purpose, yet he was still faithful to the, the calling that God had placed on his life. And this man that we're going to be talking about is Paul. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're turning there, Paul, he's faithful. He's faithful to the mission that God has placed before him. He's passionate about his calling. He has a heart for people. He started churches. And he was one of the most influential people at the time when it came to spreading the gospel. Paul, in our eyes, he's doing everything right. He's doing exactly what God has called us all to be. And I pray one day that I do a fraction of what Paul is doing in his ministry. He's a man of God living a faithful life dependent on God. 
But what we're about to see is Paul has a problem. Something comes up in his life that he has to deal with, which we all can relate with, right? We all have problems. I see some of y'all look at the person beside you. I'll let y'all deal with that after, okay? We all have problems in our life, right? We got problems. And Paul, he was having a problem. Some problems are big. Some are small. Some are life-altering. Some are just day-to-day altering. But what, regardless of what it is, we all have problems. We have that in common with Paul. And so we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. But before we do that, you know we always say this. The Bible is true. So I'm going to have you guys say that. Go ahead. Amen. Here at New Beginnings, we believe that. That every book, every chapter, every verse, and every word in the Bible is true. And with that understanding, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. We're going to pause right there. A lot of big stuff going on here. We got thorns, we got being conceited, revelations, messengers of Satan. Like what is going on? Don't worry. We're going to find out what's going on together. So Paul, a few verses up, he experienced something. He encountered something. That God revealed something to Paul that no person has experienced or probably will ever experience again. But whatever Paul saw, and it doesn't say exactly what it was, but what Paul saw was something that easily could have made him prideful. It could have easily given him a big head. And sometimes I think we put Paul up on this pedal, so at least I know I do it, that he's more than just a man. But in reality, Paul is just a man like you and I. He's sinful, he struggles with sin. And he still needed the same Jesus to save him from a life of death and bring, him to, and bring him the new life, right? Paul was just a man. He was doing extraordinary things. But Paul, he was given a thorn, meaning God allowed Paul to experience a struggle that was not going to be removed. A little bit of spoiler there for you. He was experiencing something, a hardship in his life. And when you hear the word thorn... For me, I think of walking through the woods, you get pricked with a thorn bush or on rose bushes like a plant thorn, right? But that's not what Paul is talking about when he says the word thorn. In Greek, there's a Greek word called skolos, and that word literally translates to a tent stake. So if you think of a large wooden tent stake, that was what Paul was describing as what he was experiencing. Not to say that a tent stake was literally driven into him, but what he was experiencing would have been the same level and pain as if that happened. It would have been noticeable, and it would have been very, very uncomfortable. And so now what's interesting, and it's a question that I hope I have answered one day. What was Paul's thorn? Because it never says in Scripture what the thorn was that he dealt with. I would love one day to have that answer. But nowhere does it say what it was. Paul never elaborates and says what it is. And if you want to go do some of your own research, it's really a fascinating thing. People have done a lot of great studies on it. But the two main schools of thought that scholars and theologians believe Paul's thorn was is this. The first one is that Paul was struggling with some kind of debilitating disease or he had some sort of affliction, meaning his eyes were going bad or his legs didn't work properly or he was having some motor function issues. That was one of the the areas of thought that scholars and theologians think. The other one was that he was under a constant and excessive amount of persecution, which Paul, he talks about a lot of persecution, but this would have been a constant, every single waking moment, he was being persecuted by someone from somewhere. And so with that understanding, Paul was going through something. And again, we don't know what it is or what exactly it was that he was dealing with, but we do know that he was having a a problem. And this was something he was going to have to live with for the rest 
of his life. The thorn that Paul was given, it was harmful and it wasn't good. The enemy Satan had a role to play in Paul receiving this thorn. God allowed it to happen. But I love this. Even in the midst of evil, God had a purpose for this. And it was to keep Paul humble. I look at this and I wonder, man, God, why, why was it a thorn? Why did Paul have to experience something so horrible that it was going to be with him the rest of his life for him to learn this lesson and not be prideful? Like, like, why in the world is Paul having to go through this? Well, two things. Number one, I'm not God. I don't have the answers. God sees it all, right? And two, we're going to see the answer as to why God allowed this to happen to Paul in a few verses in just a moment. But as, as if Paul receiving this new circumstance, this new thing in his life wasn't bad enough, I want us to take just a glimpse, just a moment, to see what else Paul has endured through his life of ministry and living on mission for God. So if you look up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, right at the end of that, we're going to look at the end of verse 23 and read on from there. This is what Paul has written before he talks about the new thorn that he has. He says this, With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardships through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Wow, Paul is going through a lot. And then now he has this new problem in his life that he's having to deal with. But here's the truth that I want us to see from this, is that the trials of this life do not determine our eternal future. What we experience in this life do not determine our eternal future. At any point along the way during Paul's journey, his mission, he could have given up. And we would have been, man, Paul, great, good job. Man, you did, a, you did a good thing there. I don't blame you for giving up. I wouldn't want to have any one of these things happen to me, but all of this happened to one man. But yet, Paul, he still kept going. He still was faithful to what God was calling him to do. He was pursuing the mission because his trials did not determine his future. The Lord did. And many of you in this room who are sitting here, myself included in this, have had a thorn or are dealing with a thorn in your life right now. The thorns, they look different for everybody. They cause pain in various ways. But God, he sees your struggle. He knows what you're going through. This world is a broken and a sinful place. But for believers, the hope that we have, this is not our home. This is not the end. And what we face does not, hear me when I say this, what you face in this life does not determine, determine your eternal future. The finished work of Jesus does. What Jesus did on the cross determines where our future lies. And if we didn't live in a broken world, Paul would have had no problem living out his mission for God. People would have been jumping to know Jesus. People would have been leaping out at him to say, let me start a church. I want to do it. I want to follow you, Paul. Cities would have welcomed him in instead of casting him out or throwing him in prison. But the world is a broken place. That's why we experience divorce, death, anxiety, depression, financial struggle. And, I, and, and me being in student ministry, I, I, again, like the social media aspect of it, I always have like weird 
weird thoughts. Like, what if Paul had social media during this time? Like, what would he be like? And so, with that, I have this, I had a thought. I'm going to share it with you. So I might imagine Paul, he, he, he's, he's experienced this. He has a new thorn in his life. He takes a selfie, right? And he's like, hey, going through something, y'all be praying for me. And I can imagine some worldly comments, and I say these because I've, I've seen these exact comments on posts, or I've heard them out loud. People say like, hey, Paul, you just, you just have to have a positive mental outlook on this problem. You just got to gotta look at it through the right eyes. Or maybe they might say, hey, Paul, the power, man, it's within you. Dig deep, and you're going to find the solution to what you're seeking. Or they might say, hey, Paul, you just need to get a caring group of individuals that you can sit around and talk with your feelings and, and talk about what's bothering you, and that's going to help. Or maybe people might suggest a type of medication, help deal with the pain or calm him down, bring him some comfort. And then some may even challenge his faith and say, Paul, if you really had faith, if you really believed that God was God, then why doesn't he just deliver you from this? Why doesn't he just fix your problem? And again, I've seen these exact comments. I've heard these exact words because I know what this world thinks when we experience things in life. That it's on us. We can fix it. We can solve it. We have the solution. We just got to try a little bit harder, do a little bit more. I'll tell you right now, I've tried a little bit harder, I've done a little bit more, and I still can't find the answer. It is in Jesus and Jesus alone that we find our answer. And this world is so quick to seek solutions for problems with self-help. I just got to find a little bit something more to help me through this. And I found this quote by Shane Pruitt, who is uh, the director of evangelism for the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. And he says this, self-help does not solve spiritual problems because often the biggest problem with self is self. If self is the problem, self can't be the solution. We need someone outside of self and his name is Jesus. Woo, is that not good? Man. So how do we as believers, if you say yes, if you've said yes to Jesus, how do we as believers handle problems in our lives? So often we're quick to go to other people Go to other sources when the true source of the answer is standing right in front of us. We, by go, we go to the one who saw the problem before we did. We go to the one who provides strength and wisdom. We go to the one who is and always will be faithful. We go to the Lord in prayer, just as Paul did when he started experiencing this. Look what he did in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. Paul pleaded with the Lord. He repeatedly asked God that he would be delivered from this. Who else do we see somebody pleading three times with the Lord? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. Paul and Jesus used the same figure of speech in the Greek to say how, 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 much pro, how many problems they were dealing with. The struggle, it was, it was encapturing them. And Paul, he wanted a way out. He wanted an escape. He repeatedly prayed for it over and over. As I was preparing for this, there's a, uh, there's a commentary that I read, and a small paragraph in it pointed out some similarities to what the, the phrase that Paul used. So he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord. And in Greek, there's a figure of speech that, that's used that, that Paul may have used in this. It's not for sure, but they're pointing something out. And it's, in English, it would be something like us saying a bunch. Like we don't know what a bunch is, but we know that it's more than one. And so Paul, he would have ceaselessly, continuously, over and over again, prayed that the Lord 
would relieve him from this. So regardless if it was really three times or if it was over and over, Paul wanted this thorn gone. He wanted to be relieved from this because it was something that he was struggling with and he did not want to do life with it. And so I had to ask myself this question. I mean, it's an honest question, and I spoiled it for you because the thorn never leaves, but why didn't Paul praying work? Why didn't Paul praying for the Lord to remove this thorn from his life work? Because prayer isn't about the outcome, it's about our posture. Prayer isn't about the outcome, it's about our posture. And this is a truth that I've had to remind myself constantly of. Prayer is not about the outcome, it's about our posture before the Lord when we are going to him in prayer, when we are seeking his wisdom and guidance. Prayer is a way for us to communicate with our creator. It's positioning in our, ourselves in a way that shows adoration towards him, our love for him, our thankfulness for him, and our desperate need for him. Paul was a desperate man. He pleaded with the Lord. That sounds like desperation to me if I've ever seen it. He pleaded with the Lord. And a question that I posed to my students a few weeks ago in college ministry a few weeks ago when I got a chance to preach there, I'm going to pose this same question to you. I see a couple people taking notes. I'd love for you to write this down. What are you desperate for God to do? What are you desperate for God to do in your life? And that's a question that everybody has an answer to. Either you know exactly what you're desperate for God to do, what you need him to do in your life, or you say, man, I don't, I don't want God, I don't, I don't have any desperate need for him, I'm, I'm good. Everybody answers that one way or the other. What we gotta be careful of is the moment that we stop becoming desperate to see God move in our life is the moment we start becoming dependent on something else. We need to be completely and utterly desperate for God to move. Paul, he was in a place of desperation. But his posture was believing that God could deliver him from this situation, even though it never happened. And if all we do is pray for worldly things, possession, status, what is that a posture of? Selfishness. It's not God honoring. If you want to see how God is moving in our lives, we must position ourselves with the understanding that, yes, God can do what I need him to do. But at the same time, remember that even if he doesn't move the way that I want him to, he is still faithful. And my faith in him does not change. Just because God doesn't move the way that you're wanting him to move doesn't mean he's not listening. God isn't just sitting around waiting for us to pray and then he starts moving. God is constantly moving. He is constantly working. If you just have faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, God can move and he can do incredible things. And Paul, he gets a clear view, a clear vision at God's desire for his life and how he's supposed to handle the situation, which is so cool. And I honestly get a little jealous because how many times in your life have you experienced something? You're like, why is this happening? Like, why is this going on? Like, I wish I had an answer. And Paul, he gets an answer straight from God. Man, I'm jealous. But here's what happens when Paul hears from the Lord, and it's honestly the answer that we, Paul wasn't expecting or maybe we would expect, but this is God's response to Paul pleading with the Lord. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's a very powerful verse, a very popular verse in scripture, but this is a context surrounding it, that Paul, he was in a place of desperation and God said, Paul, I'm not going to remove it, but I am going to give you strength. I am going to give you grace. I am going to give you mercy. 
And I am not going to let this defeat you. If you just lean on me, you will get through this. Instead of removing that thorn from Paul's life, God gave and would continue to give his grace to Paul. And the grace God gave to him would be sufficient to meet his every need. The grace God gives to each one of us is sufficient to meet every one of our needs, trials, and thorns. That should be the echo of our lives. Your grace is sufficient for me. God, your grace is sufficient for me. God, you are enough. I need nothing more. In college, there was an incredible guy that I knew. His name was Max. And he was an avid hiker, outdoors, outdoorsman. And every summer he would go on a hike to, to a new mountain. Never understood why he did it, but he did. He would go to a mountain, he'd hike it up. He'd just enjoy being alone. I get that. But he would hike these mountains. And one summer he went to Colorado. And he was hiking up this mountain. And his, his goal was to get to the top. And there was like a river or some sort of uh, large stream that you could ride your kayak down. About a two or three hour kayak trip. And it would drop you off at like this, this base camp kind of cabin thing where you could get get stocked up on anything that you needed to finish the journey. And so uh, Max, he was ready to do it. He, he went there, got out. He put his kayak over his shoulder, had his backpack with his gear. It was about a two-day's journey up to the top of this mountain. So he was prepared. He checked the weather. Everything was good. He began the journey. Day one went fine. He made camp, rested up, getting ready for day two. He was expecting to make it to the top, but it didn't happen. Day two rolled around, and a storm came out of nowhere. And it started raining, and as he continued on his journey, the rain got harder and harder. And he lost his way along the trail. And the terrain was getting more and more tough and rugged. And so finally, he just called it quits, made camp, and said, okay, I'll, I'll just find it in the morning. I'll get there in the morning. I'll reach my destination in the morning. Day three rolled around, and it's still raining. Doesn't know where he's at, but he knows if he just keeps going up, he'll eventually come to a point where he can maybe hear the river. Maybe he can see a glimpse of where he's supposed to go. Day three goes. No sign of anything. And so now he's having to make a decision for day four. Does he continue on? He, he has to be close. Or does he go back down the mountain where he knows he can get out, but it's going to be a multiple-day journey, and he has no food left. He's going to have to use the strength that he has right now to get down the mountain. So day four comes, and he's continuing up is what he decides. So he keeps going up. And again, he does not find it. So he stops, makes camp, and waits for day five. Day five rolls around. And at this point, he is, he, he is desperate. And he is struggling to continue on. And finally, in the middle of him going up the mountain, he just stops, throws everything down, gets on his knees and prays to the Lord. He didn't say exactly what he prayed for, but he said he prayed for two, th two things, strength and direction. And I kid you not, in the middle of him praying, somebody yells out, hey man, need some help? Hey. Yeah. And looking up, see somebody walking towards him. Just somebody just in hiking gear, no backpack, no stuff or anything, and offers to help him. Max said the rain was making it look like he cried, but he wasn't crying. I believe he was crying. <laughs> and so he's like, yes, I need some help. He's like, I'm trying to get to the spot. He's like, oh, I know exactly where it is. I make this hike all the time. He's like, thank you so much. He's like, here, I'll, I'll help you carry your stuff. He's like, you're only like 50 yards away from the trail, and it's about an hour hike up, and you're going to be there. He's like, oh, my goodness, thank the Lord. And so Max gets the front of the, of the kayak, the stranger gets the back end, and he's like, all right, just start going this way. He's like, I'll, I'll tell you where to go. And they start walking, and eventually they, they make it to the top. Max trying to offer this guy money, his credit card, all this. He's like, thank you so much for helping me. He's like, no, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm just here to help you out. 
and he just disappears in the woods. Max never found out the guy's name or anything like that. That's not the point. The point was that Max discovered something and learned something about God. And it's something that has stuck with me to this day, and I will never forget it. God relieves burdens in our lives in two different ways. The first one is this, and it's the way that we most commonly think that God removes burdens. He removes the load entirely, takes it away from us, it's gone. Like Jesus on the cross, the burden of sin was removed from us and put on Jesus. The second way, it's a less common way, and it's the one that we don't want, but it's sometimes what we experience, and it's what Max experienced, and it's what Paul's experiencing, is that God strengthens the shoulders to bear the load. He strengthens the shoulders to bear the load. You see, Max wasn't offered by the stranger to carry all of his gear and to carry Max to the, to the location, right? Max still had to go through the terrain. He still had to walk. He still had to carry part of the kayak, but it was a little bit lighter because the guy was carrying some of the load. It was a little bit easier because he knew where he was going. He wasn't just wandering aimlessly. For Paul, when God said, my grace is sufficient for you, this was Paul's moment to understand that it wasn't leaving him. But God wasn't leaving him either. He was still going to get strength and grace and mercy during this circumstance. Paul realized this through praying, his, praying for relief. That it wasn't about the problem going away. It was about the need for the presence and strength of God in his life. I mean, think about it. Paul, he was a faithful man to God. Faithful man of God. Yet God still had to remind him that you need my strength. You need my presence. You need my wisdom. You need me, Paul. As many things that Paul did for the glory of God, God still had to remind Paul that he cannot do this alone. So the truth that we see from this next part of the verse, the verse is this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And the truth that we see from that is the mo in the moments of weakness, God's presence is strongest. The moments of weakness, God's presence is strongest. When God said, hey, I'm not removing it, but I'm giving you strength to keep moving forward, Paul's response was that verse, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In the moments of weakness, God's presence is strongest. You know, a lot of people and. Again, when I say a lot of people, just know I mean myself here too. I know a lot of people, myself included. At one point I thought real Christian maturity was you get to a point in your life to where you were so smart, so Bible smart, so consistent at church that you don't need to rely on the presence of God anymore. That you've got it all figured out. You know the answers. You know what to do. You know what to say in every circumstance. And you don't need the presence of God to be pouring into your life daily. I think of it like, kids when they leave the house, right? They outgrow their parents' house. They go on their own, but they're not done with their parents. They'll, they'll go by and visit every once in a while, have a meal here and there, but we do that with God sometimes. And I'll go to church a couple times a month, maybe every other month. I'll open my Bible here and there. I'll pray at meals. That's enough, and I'm good. I, I, I know all the other answers. I know what else to do. I have everything figured out. We give God his dues, we give him what we think he deserves, and then we go about our lives. When real Christian maturity is the opposite of that, we need to be completely dependent on Christ. Again, Paul, he was faithful to what God was calling him, and yet God still needed to show him that Paul could not do it alone. 
Paul needed Jesus. And some of you in this room, you need Jesus. You need his presence to strengthen your shoulders during a trial or a season of your life that you're in right now. And for Paul, his only source of strength, his only hope was Jesus. Jesus was the answer for Paul. And for some of you in this room, Jesus is the answer for you. The answer that you've been trying to find. It is Jesus. For Paul, that thorn, it wasn't going away. He was going to need to rely on the Lord. Let me be a little bit more real here. That sickness may not go away. That divorce may happen. That abuse may not stop. That loved one may pass away. That child may continue to reject God. The anxiety may never go away. The depression may never get better. The financial struggle may always be there. And the temptation may always be a battle. But church, hear me. Even if all of that happens, is God not still good? Yes, he is. God is still good. You see, so many people think that they can do it, that they can conquer it, that they can overcome it. I've tried it. I can't. I cannot win the battle of sin, and I cannot defeat this world on my own. And I am pleading with whoever it is that is trying to do this life on their own to stop, to turn to Jesus. Because the world wants you to think that you can, but you can't. But the promise and the hope that we have is when we can't, he can. You see, we don't need healing. We need the healer. We don't need provision. We need the provider. We don't need protection. We need the one who protects. We don't need direction. We need the one who directs. We don't need satisfaction. We need the one who satisfies. And we don't need life. Just need life. We need the one who gives life. But here's the joy in that. When we chase after the one, the aspects of the one follow. When we chase the healer, we get the healing. When we chase the provider, he brings provision. When we chase the protector, he brings protection. When we chase the one who directs, he brings direction. And when we chase the one who satisfies, he brings satisfaction. And when we chase the life giver, he brings life where there was death. But even if none of that happens, while chasing after Jesus, yes, he is good. And for Paul, even though he pleaded with the Lord that it would be removed from him, it wasn't. And even though you are pleading with God that this situation in your life be removed, God will give you strength. And here was Paul's response to what God said. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God doesn't need us. Boy, we desperately need him. And the more mature in our faith we become, the more dependent on God we should become. And God's response to Paul, it's so counterculture to our world. And like I mentioned earlier, society has this answer, says that the answer is within ourselves, and says that we just have to figure it out. Society says that 
that we can do it. We are strong. We have the power. You got this. Keep moving forward. And man, that's a great rally speech if you're going to battle against someone. But we know that in Ephesians 6.12 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The cry of our heart should be, God, I can't, but you can. Some of you in here are saying that when you walked in through this entire weekend of Thanksgiving, God, I can't. I can't. I don't know how. But you got to put the rest of that sentence together. I can't, but you can. I don't know how, but you do. God, give me your strength. Give me your wisdom. Give me your mercy. And here, again, is the hope that we have. When you're tired, hear me. When you're tired, he is power. When you're lost, he is the way. When you're trapped, he is the escape. When you're in sorrow, he is joy. When you're confused, he is clarity. When you're defeated, he is victorious. When you are dead, he is life. And when you are weak, he is strong. God is strong in all situations, in all circumstances. God has and always will be enough. There is not a single, hear me, there's not a single person in this world who has found God and been disappointed. When you find Jesus, everything changes. Everything shifts. Because Jesus is the answer. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, you're saying, well, Jake, there's just a problem. I, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. And I just don't know that I can do everything that God's word is calling me to do. I just don't know that I can commit to a relationship with Jesus. It, it just doesn't fit my lifestyle. Well, the gospel wasn't meant to fit your lifestyle, it was meant to become it. Jesus came to change you, not to just fix you up. He came to make you new. This world can knock us down, but Jesus, but with Jesus, we will never be defeated. Because he went to the cross, he was buried, he did die, and he didn't stay there in the grave for long. He rose victorious from the grave, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Some of you in this room, you are tired, you are trapped, you are lost, you are in sorrow, you are confused, you are defeated, you are weak, and you are dead in sin. And there is a God who loves you, and he wants to change your life. And it is time to stop trying to do it on your own and turn to Jesus and say, God, I can't, but you can. Your past no longer has to be the ending to your story. It can just be a chapter. What you're struggling, what you're dealing with does not have to be the end of your story. It can just be something you look back on and say, God, thank you for delivering me from that. God, thank you for giving me the strength to persevere through that. Jesus came to give life where there was no life. Jesus came to change lives. Have you let him change yours? Have you let Jesus change your life? Is there a moment you can look back on and say, that's when my life changed forever? That's when I said yes to Jesus. And so I'm going to give two responses this morning. If you're in this room and you do not know Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with him, if there's not a moment you can look at and say, that's when everything changed, then in a moment, I want you to be bold, step out, come find one of the people at the front and say, just tell them, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. Don't be scared, don't be nervous. That's between you and the Lord. God wants to change your life. Step out and have the faith and know that he can. God can change lives. It's what he does. 
He's changed mine. I pray that he changes someone in this room's life. For the others in this room, maybe you do know Jesus. But you are experiencing a thorn, a trial, a circumstance in your life, and you don't know how to handle it. Guess what? The people at the front here would love to join you in praying. They would love to just wrap their arms around you and cover you in prayer. Whatever it is, there is no challenge, trial, or thorn too small or too big for God. He sees it all and he cares for it all. Do not sit there and say, mine doesn't matter. No one understands. God does. God understands. He sees. Don't let the enemy get a victory this morning by making you stay still and not asking for prayer, not coming to the Lord and seeking him. Don't leave this room the same way that you came in. And don't leave this room with a question mark on your salvation. God is love, he is joy, he is peace, and he wants to give all of that to us, but you got to let him. So I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, I want you to move as the Spirit is calling you to move. If you need prayer, come forward. If you want Jesus to change your life, come forward. God, we love you, and we are thankful that you do change lives. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who is hesitant, Father, in taking that step. I pray that you give them the boldness that they will seek help, God. They will seek you, that they will seek your strength and your love, God. I pray that people do not leave this room the same way they came in. God, I pray that you give them the encouragement. I pray that you give them the strength. God, I pray them. Pray that you show them the strength that you have. Father, I pray that somebody in this room will stop doing it on their own, that they will seek you. Jesus, again, we thank you for your blood on the cross. We thank you for your death, and we thank you for the victory in the grave. So, Father, we give the rest of this time to you, and we ask that that your presence fill this place. Jesus, we love you. It's your name that we pray.